0: Hey everyone, it's Hannah here, back with a new episode of Wholehearted. But before we get going, I just wanted to let you know about one of my favorite new podcasts called Share the Load. Share the Load is hosted by intimacy coordinator Mia Schachter and specifically focuses on the division of labor in our personal relationships. Their recent episode on burnout in the midst of the cultural revolution we're going through was super interesting and super relevant to what I think a lot of us are experiencing right now. Mia also teaches boundary and consent workshops via Zoom, offered on a sliding scale for those who are interested. You can get all the details and find the Share the Load podcast at sharetheloadinc.com. So go check it out. Mia's work is incredible, and you'll be very happy to have learned something new today. Also, once again, are you a member of my Patreon yet? I don't think you all are. <laughs> Today, I mailed out a bunch of really cute pink lined envelopes full of merch and cute notes and glitter and stuff, and I feel like if you listen to the show, you probably want to be one of those people. I also hand-painted my first Wholehearted mug this week, and honestly, I'm really proud of how it panned out, and I want you to have one to hold in your little hands. So, head over to patreon.com slash wholeheartedpodcast and sign up. And again, even your consideration means a lot to me, so... Thank you. And uh, with that out of the way, let's get into the episode. Before we get started, just a brief content warning. This episode, in general terms, discusses sexual abuse of minors. Nothing too graphic, of course, but if you're sensitive to that sort of information, now you know that that is in this episode. When I'm not working on Wholehearted or on many of the other shows I produce for work, I am a vocal instructor at School of Rock in Cleveland, Ohio. I absolutely treasure my relationships with my students, especially in these isolating and generally bizarre times. A lot of my love for my students and my downright investment in their hearts and souls and lives and self-esteem levels comes from the relationship I had with my vocal teacher in high school. The incomparable Megan Elk was my voice teacher all throughout high school, from around 2011 to the end of the school year in 2013. In those two years, the impact she made on me was immeasurable. For context, the vocal music program at my high school demanded perfectly polished and uniform performance. It was also led exclusively by straight men. I'm not trying to disparage my school's program. It really is amazing and has done a lot for a lot of people. But there was certainly a right way to sound, act, and look if you wanted to succeed there. I first started taking lessons with Megan because I needed help finding a way to fit into that mold. And predictably, she did help me find a way to do that very thing. But what I couldn't have predicted was that Megan would also bring a whole new perspective to my life, not only musically, but personally. She helped me fit the mold of that confident, pretty, controlled singer, but she also helped me to see that it was just that, just a mold, a persona that I could take on and take off. And that stays with me to this day, but I digress. Megan is unlike anyone else I've ever been close with and is still a role model for me in a lot of ways. I wholeheartedly believe that her presence in my life shaped a lot of my choices and shaped my self-concept as a teenager for the better. You'll absolutely see why very soon. Megan has had an extraordinary past few years, and up until this conversation with her, I had, for the most part, only watched them play out as posts on social media. Musical and theatrical success, a seemingly fairy tale marriage, an exciting move to Chicago along with a perfect new job, and then, suddenly, a scary revelation and a quick separation from the person she had married just a year earlier. I wanted to ask her all the things that I couldn't ask as a teenager and all the things I'd been wondering about her life since then. I wanted to gab like we used to in lessons. And in this episode, you get to join in on that very conversation. Welcome to Wholehearted, where we feel things all the way. Here we share stories of full-bodied commitment to the people, places, things, and ideas we believe in, for better or for worse. I'm your host, Hannah Rae Leach.
1: My name is Megan Elk. My age is 38, going on 39, and my pronouns I use are she and they, she, her, or they, them. For the majority of the time that I lived in Cleveland, I was a voice teacher, pretty much full-time at the Aurora School of Music, (laughs) where I met you.
0: How would you describe what your voice lessons were like at Aurora? Like, who was your typical student?
1: (laughs) Not (laughs) not you. (laughs) You were not. Um, My typical student... I mean, I sort of remember what they looked like because uh-huh. there was uh, the early 2000s look of white suburban America, which was, mm-hmm. I think, like skinny jeans with mm-hmm. Uggs and like a North Face fleece. There was like a blur. Like 80% of my female students had straight shoulder length hair and dressed like that. And I couldn't tell you anything about them and they weren't good singers. <laughs> 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 I mean, they, they weren't, they would kind of come in and roll their eyes at me, and I was obviously very outside the norm of any type of human being that they were used to meeting. Right. Um, so, they, yeah, it was suburbia.
0: Megan clearly did not give a shit about how she was perceived by any of her teenage students. In our lessons, Megan was always wearing something concepted, campy, or otherwise colorful. This is what her singing sounds like, just... Imagine these sounds in a tiny practice room and you get a sense of what lessons were like.
1: (laughs) It's a Cleveland man for me.
0: Very operatic. Very loud. But I always felt like Megan represented a version of the creative adult that I wanted to grow up to be. She wrote music, she taught music, she performed in plays and musicals all around Cleveland, and she had a cool bike. She made me do weird stuff, like... <laughs> me-o, 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 me. She made me sing in ways that felt bizarre. She made me get out of my comfort zone. Megan always cared, and I felt that. I loved all of Megan's quirks when she was my teacher, but I was sure that not everyone responded to her that way. I asked her to tell me more about her weirdness.
1: Yeah, I'm like a weirdo through and through to my core, and I think that (laughs) my weirdness and my queerness are sort of inextricably bound. Like, why I feel so strange auditioning and why I just never feel like I'm a character actor, but not like vocally. I'm an opera singer. I'm just a whole weird mixed bag. And, and on top of that, I'm just coming into my identity as a non-binary person. And Mm -hmm. I feel like, um, that is so central to a strangeness that I have felt my whole life that is just now like, almost at 40 years old, I'm coming to some sort of peace with it. You know, Mm -hmm. like, oh, that's what it is. That's the
0: thing I couldn't put my finger on. This makes sense to me in retrospect, because before she moved to Chicago, Megan was known and beloved in the Cleveland music scene for her hyper feminine drag cabaret alter ego, Miss Alexandra Huntington
1: lights have gone low dear we've got all the band here the mood and the stage are set I started writing really body cabaret songs and then I was just like I can't put my name on these because I teach children <laughs> and uh, I, I chose the name Miss Alexander Huntington which follows the the formula of the old childhood game of like What's your drag name? It's your middle name, plus the town where you grew up in. So my middle name is Alexandra, <laughs> and I grew up for a while in North Huntington, Pennsylvania. So Alexandra Huntington just sounded like, she sounded like a friggin' bitch. And that's clearly my drag all three of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that she is a torch song singer in the classic sense, who goes from being incredibly absurd and irreverent to very thoughtful and vulnerable and introspective within the course of a set. That all of those things exist on a really larger-than-life, intensely emotional scale.
0: I'd been lucky enough to see Miss A perform a few times live, but my obsession with her really spiked when she let out a live album, heavily inspired by Judy Garland live at Carnegie Hall. I'm not exaggerating when I say I was obsessed with it. Like, I think I might still know every single word to every song. Part of why I loved the album so much was because it was, at its core, about rejection.
1: Do I breathe? Do I blink? Do I overeat, overwork? Overthink Do I dream of you Constantly
0: And yearning
1: Soon but not soon enough Soon
0: but not soon enough Soon see you soon See you soon And even size. Here. Have a sandwich. Have an ice cream.
1: Have Here.
0: Have She's throwing sandwiches at the audience in that clip just to paint a full three. mental image. You're She would perform in character in bars and venues and public transportation stops all across the city of Cleveland, always making the space entirely her own. I just felt so seen by the nature of this album. I felt like it expressed things I'd felt in ways that I never would have thought to do. But I did always wonder about the inspiration behind the music. When I was taking lessons from you, you would like kind of talk about like your dating life, but Only a little bit, but I'm wondering how, I mean, based off of her songs, I can guess, but like how much did your dating life in that era play into the music of Miss Alexandra?
1: Oh, that's all that it is. (laughs) I mean, I think there's, I think there's maybe one song on that album that's not about uh, a dude. And that's really terrible. There's something about an album, even if it's an album of me, a non-binary person, performing a drag alter-ego cabaret character, there's something really dull and uninteresting about all of that being about men. Mm -hmm. And frankly, dishonest. Um, Mm -hmm. But I was also, in my songwriting, always playing with cliches. I liked the cliché of the forlorn, the unlucky in love torch song. So I was always trying to, to play with that cliche. Now, (laughs) now that I've had the experience of being really, really truly unlucky, like also all of those things seem so asinine, (laughs) so trite. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh, you didn't even know. You had no (laughs) idea how bad it be. (laughs)
0: things did get bad pretty much as bad as they could possibly get but we'll get back to that later and we'll come back to miss a so don't forget about her either one common thread between megan and me that i was totally unaware of in high school is that we're both queer i mean like i'm still a baby stressed bisexual at 25 which is like its own problem (laughs) but nonetheless it's there So when Megan says that there's something false about all of her older music being about men, I deeply get that. You at one point were married to a man and you are not a straight person. So my question (laughs) is, when you got married, did you feel like a part of your identity like visibly was being erased by being in such a heteropassing relationship? What were your thoughts on that kind of thing?
1: Wow. I don't think that it was being erased so much as I was consciously trying to erase it. Mm. Like it is so complex. And I did have such a hard time dating for reasons that were kind of mystifying to me at the time that when I finally met someone who seemed tolerable and seemed also willing to accept my many, many quirks, I thought like, Oh, okay, well, I guess we'll get married and that will uncomplicate all of the complicated things. I wanted to kind of like settle that romantic part of my life and get it out of the way so that I could go on and live the rest of my life. And that's just not the way anything works. And, um, you know, having a marriage fall apart is a really bad way to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. So, did
0: you grow up? imagining that you would get married one day like was that always a part of like your life plan kind of
1: I actually didn't it wasn't really marriage or children weren't really a part of my life plan but then as I got older and I saw that it was the socially expected thing to do it became something that I felt like was a necessary goal in life you know, like, uh, oh, this is just what people do and everybody does it at some point because it makes life easier, theoretically. I guess I always had kind of thought growing up, well, I'll probably wind up in a long-term relationship. I don't know if that's going to be with a man or a woman. And, and reaching the age of 35 and going, well, if I don't want to have children, at least maybe I should get married to have some of the markers of socially... Acceptable existence.
0: So I promised we would talk about just how unlucky in love Megan was, why her marriage fell apart, all that. To be honest, I was a little nervous to ask about it going into the interview because there's just so much to talk to her about beyond what happened with her ex, but what happened was pretty explosive. So. With her consent in advance, we got into it. Now we're making the hard pivot, so here we go, the
1: hard pivot. This is the drugs part of the evening, where are (laughs) my drugs? Oh my god. So my ex-husband was arrested as part of a sting operation directed toward people who were on the internet trying to groom and solicit minors for sex. Uh, So, and he was also a public school teacher in Chicago Public Schools. And he just didn't come home one day, and I was like, where is he? And I get this call, and he's at the police station and has to tell me what happened, and basically everything fell apart. Um, It was the wildest thing. Did you know that? Did you know this? Well, that no, this no, no. Happens? I knew
0: what happened, but I... Okay. We, last time I saw <gasps> you, it was the December before it happened.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember. And I was like, oh, everything's good. Being married so awesome. We're going to go on a vacation. No. <laughs> none of that happened. Because he just wasn't who I thought he was. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, and so it was a really... It was a big wake-up call. It was a big slap in the face.
0: I needed a little more information. I mean, this is a lot to process. Did she have any idea that this was going on? How did she feel about it? How did she process it?
1: I was super relieved because in the months leading up to that, I had felt like something was really wrong, like something was wrong with me. I just had this inner sense that um, everything was not okay. And I was had been experiencing a, like, a lot of anxiety and checking in with him, like, is everything okay? Are we okay? Do we need to talk about anything? Because obviously the sex had just begun to suffer and I'm like, what's going on? And it, it just turns out that while I was working in equity contracts and going to the theater, you know, six nights a week, he was um, having affairs and soliciting young people for sex on the internet and all of this crazy shit. And all of this came to the fore after he got arrested. It was just such a wild experience. Like, nothing will knock you quite on your ass like your partner being arrested for something that you had no idea about.
0: So you're at home, he doesn't come home, you get this call, and then he's at... The police station,
1: does he, do you bail him out? Does anyone bail him out? Like. This is the crazy thing I, I did. I went to his arraignment. It doesn't happen right then. Like he had to be held overnight mm-hmm. and um, went to the court and sat, met the lawyer, sat in the arraignment, In an arraignment, it's an open session of all these other people that are also there to bail people out. It's just for a judge to set bail or bond and say, okay, next, next, next. So they're going through this line of people and there's this whole gallery watching everything that's happening and they read his name, his age, where he lives, and then they say that he's a Chicago public school teacher and the gallery gasps. I had sunglasses on, like a total cliche. I had like a black suit, and so everybody was there in like pajamas. I was in a black suit, and yeah. Sunglasses. You're like
0: serving secretly.
1: Yes, yeah. yeah. I'm mm-hmm. serving like Carmela Soprano realness. Yeah. Like, but I just I remember having these sunglasses on, and and everyone gasping and just like sinking in my seat. Like, I just wanted to become invisible because they had to. They all had to have known that I was his wife. Joking aside, it was a harrowing experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I it just made me... Obviously, after someone is held in prison overnight, they are, are wearing the same clothes that they've been wearing for 24 hours. They're greasy and all of that. And he looks so gross and greasy and creepy and smarmy. I'm so glad I had that experience of hearing the gasp from the gallery and Mm -hmm. seeing him and looking at him and being like, "Ugh, you're like actually a pedophile. I immediately knew, you know, even talking to the lawyer before going into that arraignment, the lawyer said, I'm just assuming because I see a lot of these cases, I'm just assuming that you're the type of woman that doesn't stay. And I was like, right. (laughs) And he was like, Good. (laughs) It was, I mean, and and that sealed the deal for me, seeing him in that light and being like, ugh, I am not attracted to you. I could never, ever again. Something like this happens and it like erases everything. So I don't even remember being attracted. I mean, I remember happy times with him, like happy individual memories, but I don't remember being attracted to or in love with him. And I'm not sure... Whether that was because I wasn't, which is highly possible, Mm -hmm. or because I have just blocked out a ton of shit, or some crazy combination of the two. Right. Most likely. Most likely. I did not really love him and was not as attracted to him as you should be to someone that you marry, (laughs) you know? -hmm. But also that... I get so angry with myself, like, how could you not know that this wasn't real? But I kind of block out that feeling in the beginning. Like, I don't remember that beginning feeling of like, ah, Mm -hmm. I think about that time in my life. And I'm like, you schmuck, like you absolute idiot.
0: (laughs) Something like the surprise arrest of your partner for charges like these would surely lead anyone to a dark place it brought me to a dark place and i was just reading a facebook post about it hundreds of miles away and things definitely got pretty dark for megan
1: when he didn't come home at first i thought something terrible might have hap- might have happened and i went through this period after of really wishing he had died really yeah i mean but then yeah. the more i thought about it i thought if he had died then i would think positively of him and I don't think I sh- I don't think he deserves that. I think it would have made some things easier for me. Yeah personally. It wouldn't have left me feeling like this bizarre, undesirable person. Um mm-hmm. I went back and forth for a long time like I wish he died. No, this is what was supposed to happen. And I'm definitely back on the this is what was supposed to happen. <laughs> I, have yeah. a sense now, yeah. I think
0: now Megan is absolutely no fool. Which is why I was curious whether or not she had any suspicions from the outset of her marriage. Was there a part of you at any point that was, like, kind of expecting something bad to happen?
1: Yeah, totally. Totally. Really? Um, yeah, I have kind of a a witchy sense about me anyway. Mm -hmm. So I sort of know when things are going to happen. It's... if my mom were a part of this conversation, she would say, it's the women in our family, the Strafe of Bianca. You know, like the white, white Italian witches. Uh-huh. Uh, it's just like in our, in our lineage, apparently, mm-hmm. this kind of prescience. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I had some kind of feeling something was off. Something was not quite right. And then, like, immediately before this all went down, immediately before he was arrested... We had been in New York City on spring break and he had never been there before and I had been there many times and so I sort of showing him some of my favorite places and taking him to some shows and things like that and he was just like tired and bored and there was just no willingness to engage in any sort of critical thought about any of the cultural experiences he was having and I very distinctly remember, there was this moment we were like in Brooklyn and we had gone to Lucali for pizza. We had to wait like forever. And then we get there and it's great. And it's like ambient. It's so cool. and It's everything you want. The pizza comes and it's amazing. And we're sitting there and I'm trying to like, oh, I think, you know, can you do see this ingredient? Do you see this technique? And there's just no, I was not being met intellectually. Mm-hmm. And I just started crying in the middle of Lucali, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and he was like, "Oh, what's wrong?" And I was like, oh, "I just New York makes me emotional. Sometimes I wonder what would have happened if I moved to New York." But in the back of my mind, I was thinking, "This cannot be the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Like, I cannot go through life with a partner that is not." curious and inquisitive about the world around them that doesn't want to have a broad array of cultural experiences and then really reflect on them like that's just essential to being my friend like spending time with me like how did i marry this person that doesn't engage in that and i remember thinking on that trip like i don't know how this is going to end but this is gonna have to end and then it was less than a week later that that happened. And I think, I honestly think that the universe was like, yeah, you didn't do anything to deserve this. Here's an escape hatch. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like, like yeah. the rest was the universe going like, hey, we got you. That's like, it was night.
0: not, it's <laughs> nice to hear in a strange way that uh, it mm-hmm. felt that way.
1: I, yeah, I, Because I definitely wasn't like, oh my God, my world has ended. If anything, like immediately, I was like, oh my God, now I get to be alive again.
0: It's now been over a year since the arrest, and a lot has happened in Megan's life. She stayed in Chicago, even though she had originally moved there with her ex. And in spite of all the extremely complicated feelings she's experienced, anger, grief, relief, joy, shock, She's bounced back surprisingly quickly.
1: I told myself when everything happened that I was going to give myself a year to, like, kind of drink as much and smoke as much weed as I wanted uh, with impunity. Like, one year, I will be as fucked up as I want. I figure my friends are only going to deal with me being a total fucking mess for, like... 12 months max. After that, I'm not going to get any love, you know? Mm-hmm. And I told this to one of my close friends. She said, you know, you remember when you said you needed a year, I think you did it in nine months. And I was like, yeah, I think <laughs> I did too. I think I like, <laughs> you know, kicked that trauma's ass and mm-hmm. um, I'm feeling more like myself than I have really in a long time, probably since before I met my ex, I feel like I became some, Weird middle American heteronormative version of myself that is not, uh-huh. uh, that thank- thankfully is not a real person anymore, you know? <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs>
0: this idea really got me. Becoming the middle American heteronormative version of myself is a deep fear of mine. And again, as a baby-stressed bisexual 25-year-old woman, who is a serial monogamist historically only with straight cisgendered men, this fear is always lurking in the basement of my brain. In the past, I'd catch myself in dynamics with men where I'd be thinking to myself, is this just how it is? I wanted Megan's input on that idea. I never want to become the type of person who accepts the bare minimum from her partner, and I definitely don't think that's where I'm at right now. But hearing that Megan escaped that circumstance brought me a lot of joy. So before the shit hit the fan, obviously, like, in your mind when you were projecting, like, when it was going to end, like, did you, was there still a part of you that was like, oh, well, like, maybe this is just how life is?
1: Yeah, totally. For a long time, I was like, oh, maybe this is the, this is what everybody jokes about on sitcoms that you get married and then mm. the sex gets boring and then you just get comfortable and you sit on the couch and ask what's for dinner until you die. Like, a, yes. you know, um, but now I know that there's much more to expect out of relationships than that. <laughs> and that good long-term relationships require also like sexual curiosity and exploration and some sort of like, Joy. <laughs> <laughs> Some level of joy. Some level of joy. Uh, <laughs> my girlfriend just texted me that she's coming in, but that doesn't mean we can't talk about her.
0: Yes, you heard that correctly. Her girlfriend just walked into the room. We love to hear it. She's being very quiet, and I just want to
1: tell her that she doesn't have to tiptoe around. So. <laughs> you yeah, know, it's totally fine. You don't have to tiptoe around, so you're fine. Okay. <laughs>
0: Okay, well, speaking of her, the next question was, you're happily in a new relationship, and can you share a little bit about that?
1: So National Coming Out Day (laughs) happens and I post my status, which you saw. And Rachel had also posted a status that said, like, oh, I'm finally coming out as bisexual. And I was like, what? Rachel likes dudes? Like, <laughs> I was so confused. And I was like, and you weren't out? You're so obviously, like, in my mind, you were always like, oh, the hockey cellist. <laughs> like, it never crossed my mind that you could have been masquerading as a heterosexual.
0: The way that Rachel and Megan met is nothing short of iconic.
1: I have been working on this project for about a year and a half uh, here in Chicago. It's a rock opera. Based on the life of Hildegard von Bingen, who is an 11th century nun, polymath, mystic, biologist, empiricist, and composer. She wrote the first ever opera, Ordo for oh, wow. She was a nun, and she was totally gay, so. right? So, <laughs> very, very gay. So. so, there's this new rock opera that explores her life, and like, particularly, like, her queerness and i'm in the opera i play her teacher and then i die and then i i come back and i play like god you know naturally yeah typecast typecast there's like a scene where i play like a demon too so like just to cover all the bases you know perfect i show up to full band rehearsal and guess who the cellist is nice this guy yeah this guy and it only gets more wholesome from there the weekend before the world got crazy which was like that first weekend of march Mm -hmm. uh we had been at a brunch at one of her friends house and we were like a little bit tipsy a little bit day drunk like talking about the future and i was like yeah i've got like all this space in my house my house is too big for me and I, we maybe like want to host my room on Airbnb, and Rachel's like, I think you just need a roommate. And so we sort of. Yeah. So yeah. Because the joke about the U Hauls on the second date is right, not a right. joke, it's yeah. just a real thing that happens.
0: It's so evident to me that Megan is thriving in her new relationship. In fact, she even told me that she's launching a cooking community on Patreon called Plated with Pride, where she's offering monthly Zoom cooking classes slash dinner parties, mail-out test bakes, and weekly meal planning consults. And honestly, if that's not living your best gay, socially distanced life, I don't know what would be. And don't worry, I'll share information on all of that stuff in the show notes. But things, by all accounts, seem profoundly better for Megan nowadays than they ever were, even before she met her ex. She seems to be so full of joy, so fully living in her truth, so ready to talk about everything that's happened and to reflect on it with new wisdom. I wanted to know if she was ultimately grateful for the experience that she had. Well, you said that it was meant to be that things fell apart the way they did, but are you glad that the that? the marriage happened just for the sake of, like, life perspective.
1: Yeah, yeah. So this is a weird loop. A friend of mine, once he suggested Great God in heaven that Miss A needed to friend. stage a fake wedding where she got married. that was simultaneously her funeral. So it was like she'd get married and then she wouldn't exist anymore. And it would be like this big performance true. event that was like a concert, but not a concert, and a performance, but not a performance. And uh, that was like a, a favorite running joke of ours for a while that I was going to stage a fake wedding as Miss A, and no one was going to know, but that, uh, you know, it was going to be another weird punk rock DIY performance thing that I did, just hypothetically as a joke. But then, in retrospect, I feel like I sort of did it. When the glamour is. Like, I got married where I always wanted to get married, at Cleveland Public Theater. I had all of the music that I always wanted to be played and all of the people in my wedding, and it looked exactly like I wanted it to look. I'm glad I did it, because I got that out of my system. It was it was this fantasy that I never really had, but it was sort of an amalgamation of like Pinterest and Instagram fantasies and like Mm -hmm. But then in retrospect it was also like I just Yeah, it was a performance. The whole thing was a performance. The marriage itself was a performance. It was an extension of that. And that is like all joking aside, that is why I think I stopped doing Miss Alexandra. Because she was done. She got married and she had her fake funeral and, <laughs> and I, yeah, I think it got out of my system. Even my mom was having her own illusory fantasy like, "Oh, love is real, marriage is real, tradition is real." Like, no, none of it's real. It's all a fantasy. It's all a performance. Blood. When the glamour is gone,
0: have any other things you want to say? Anything that you feel like I missed?
1: No, I just want to say, I have probably said this before, but I want to say uh, on the record that you, like I said jokingly at the beginning that, yeah, all of my suburban students, I couldn't tell them apart. But I do feel like you and I had such a student-teacher connection mm-hmm. because you're the antithesis of that like skinny jeans, a boots wearing, North Face fleece wearing girl. You were like actually thinking and feeling and creative and open and it was so refreshing to me to meet someone that was like, actually there to do the thing that we were doing, even if that meant making a bunch of weird sounds and like standing on a piano bench and like talking about (laughs) your feelings. Like, (laughs) you were there for it and it really, you were a breath of fresh air and I just so love that we're still connected in the world because it's just... Makes me believe in arts education all, all the more. This thing
0: I've been doing lately is going through, like analyzing all my influences. So that's like a big thing I've been thinking about. And like, this sounds so corny, but like you, you like fit in there in the same way as like like Lana would.
1: Like... Oh my God. I was, in my mind, I was like, oh my God, stay Lana Del Rey, stay Lana Del Rey. And then you said it, and now I can just die happy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Megan's approach to life is one that so thoroughly takes the good with the bad, one that centers around extracting meaning from even the worst things that have happened to her. It's about telling a satisfying story. It's about self-discovery, and it's maybe, above all, about journeying towards authenticity, always. And that is 100% the way that I try to live my life. I don't know if it's just a coincidence or all of those formative hours we spent together at the Aurora School of Music, but I am so grateful that I still have her to look to as a model of how to exist in the world. It would be a dream if I could even make a sliver of the impact on my current students that Megan made on me as a teenager and even today. This episode of Wholehearted was written, produced, engineered, and hosted by me, Hannah Ray Leach. This episode's music is a hot combination of Megan Elk and Miss Alexandra's Live at Survival Kit album and our usual beautiful custom music by Josh Perlman Hall. Story edits were provided by Isabel Robertson, and this episode was mixed, as always, by Sean Woolhoffman. Our show artwork is by Ayanna Chuston. If you love the show, if you want to support it and get some sweet stickers and other merch and just, like, be in on my little click, you should go to my Patreon patreon.com slash wholeheartedpodcast and hop aboard. For more information on Megan plated with pride and to read a transcript of this week's episode head over to wholeheartedpodcast.com You can also gain access to all of the other transcripts and all of our previous episodes there as well. You guys are going to hear from a mermaid next episode and I'm really excited about it. All right. I'll see you next time. Soon. Wait, should I sing some Megan? Okay, let's see if I still know all the words. Um, which one should I do?